Hi everyone, good morning. So Taylor was originally going to preach this morning, and then we kind of stumbled into feeling like the Lord wanted us both to share. Uh, so we wanted this morning to be like a family-style conversation. So we're going to sit right here at this table, and you're going to sit right there, and we're going to talk, and we're going to share our hearts. Uh, we feel like the, the word that the Lord has uh, put on our hearts this morning has to do with forgiveness. So we're looking forward to sharing uh, some of our journey individually and also together, um, even discussing things as a church. Uh, we really feel like this is a timely word. I'll let Taylor get into that. So uh, normally before you get up and uh, like what other people would call wing it, uh, what we call being led of the Spirit, it's always a good idea to pray. <laughs> when you're trying to get into a river, sometimes it's good to get the paddle boat rolling a bit. So if you would, would you pray with me? Let's just ask the Lord to come, that His presence would be sweet, that He would guide our words and our conversation. Father, we ask You right now in Jesus' name for the leading of the Holy Spirit. God, would You illuminate the Word of God to us? Would You pierce us? cut us, change us. Father, I pray that you would provoke us, Lord. I thank you that your heart for us is good, that you have blessing and favor and honor within your heart for us. I thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice this morning, Lord. We behold you. If you're willing, would you just with me, just fix your eyes on Jesus. Just picture him crucified right now, being murdered on our behalf. Lord, may the Lamb receive the full reward of His suffering. God, would you guide our conversation? Would you lead these moments? Would you stir within us? Father, would you just remove bitterness right now? That we would walk in faithfulness. That we would walk in forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Good morning. So, I'm sure as everyone who lives life with other humans, Paul and I have had to forgive a few people. A few people have had to forgive us. You're very tall. <laughs> you want to come down a little? I'm just trying to be like Mitchell. Okay. <laughs> I would like to start by saying that I have forgiven Paul for matching me this morning. Very rude. It's Are there fine. any other husbands out there? You're like, I have no idea what to wear, so you just look at what she's going to wear and just try to get in the ballpark. Come on, brothers, raise your hand. Hallelujah. Like what we're taking family tomorrow? photos today or something. I'm like, what on earth? What are you wearing tomorrow? I don't know. You go first. You go. <laughs> so Paul and I have walked through um, several betrayals, several... Um, really difficult situations in relationship with family members and with friends. Um, some of those relationships have been restored and are healthier than they've ever been. And some of those relationships are non-existent. But no matter the outcome, we have to forgive. Um, so the Lord spoke to me in January of this year and told me that he wanted me to teach on forgiveness. And I was like, okay, Lord, I'm like, I'm willing to do that. And then I felt like he said, in September. And I'm like, January, February, March, April, May, June, July. I'm like, okay. Like, he's never told me that before. 
given me something and then told me it's going to be months and months and months away. So as September approached, I brought it back up to Paul and I was like, um, I really feel like the Lord wants me to talk about forgiveness in September. I don't understand why September. I don't know why that's so important. Um, but I feel like I have to be obedient. So, but then I submitted it to to him, and I was like, I know the Lord's doing something in the church right now with the new wine, and if this doesn't fit, like, I totally submit that to you. I would much rather lead worship than be <laughs> sitting here and talking. So, but we felt like as we prayed about it that the Lord was in it, and even though it might feel uh, in our own wisdom, we probably wouldn't have chosen to talk about forgiveness right now with what the Lord's doing in the church, but the Lord wants this talked about. So I'm just asking that you would open your heart because I really do feel like the Lord is wanting to bring freedom this morning through forgiveness. So about a year and a half ago, we had a service in our old building. And spontaneously, it turned into testimony after testimony after testimony of forgiveness. And it was super powerful. I mean, someone said that was like the most impactful church service I've ever been in, in my entire life. Like, so powerful. The whole time, I'm playing the keys while everyone's testifying, and I am just wrestling with the Lord. And everyone's testifying, testifying. I'm like, Lord, they're like, you know my heart, and I cannot testify. Like, I could not get up and testify because there was unforgiveness in my heart. And so understand that this time I was going to counseling. <laughs> I was reading a book on forgiveness. I was doing everything I could do to get forgiveness in my heart, but I was so stuck, so stuck. And I afterwards talked to Paul, and I was like, I could not get up and testify. I have unforgiveness in my heart, and I don't know how to get past it. And, like, I understand this is, like, a big deal and not okay, but I don't know what to do. And Paul was like, do you think you realize this morning that, like, your salvation is at risk because you're not forgiving? I was like, no, I did not realize that, but thank you. And he was like, uh, well, let's talk about Matthew 6, 14 through 15 and talk through the which we'll get there. Um, but it put me on a war path against unforgiveness and realizing like this can't stay. It's not an option. I am not allowed to remain a victim with unforgiveness and bitterness in my heart. And I just want to encourage you, if your standard in your marriage is not speaking truth, it's time to make a shift. Because if he would have been like, oh, honey, you'll get there. It's going to be okay. Like, you're doing such a good job. Because I was, I was doing all the things. I was going to counseling. I was reading the books. I was praying. I was trying. But he spoke truth, not fluff. Fluff doesn't set us free. Love doesn't even set us free. Truth sets us free. Okay, so if the standard of your marriage is not speaking truth to one another, I would encourage you after the service to talk about it. Probably don't just start speaking truth without any conversation. <laughs> It'll be like, what is happening? You were very mean all of the sudden. <laughs> but it, tell the truth. Start talking about it. Be like, we have a standard in our marriage of beating around the bush, and we need to stop. Okay? Be each other's accountability partners. Call each other higher. You are the best person in each other's lives to draw each other to the heart of Jesus. Uh, so here's a word from the Lord. What you avoid now will destroy you later. Yeah. You've got to talk about it. We're not giving you a license to all of a sudden be mean. That's what she's saying. 
but even in doing marriage counseling with people, to be very frank with you, we find that there's a lot of cowardice in marriage. The scripture says faithful are the wounds of a friend. If you're not wounding your spouse, then you're not really friends. You're certainly not best friends, and you're not fulfilling what God wants in a marriage. The accountability of marriage is one of the reasons why people don't get married. What do you eat? Where do you work? How do you spend your time? When did you go to bed? When did you get up? Do you read your Bible? How are we going to spend our money, our sexuality? Everything becomes accountable, and that's God's design to make us holy. So marriage is to make us holy, not to make us happy. The American version of marriage will say, you know, find your best life through this other person. And God calls us to hold one another accountable, to speak truth to each other. So that's a very normal conversation. I wasn't being mean to her, but it also wasn't out of the blue because it's something that we do regularly. And I also want to share something. Early on in our marriage, Taylor, having a read on me, would say things like, are you doing okay? And I would be like, yeah, I'm fine. As I grew and as I matured, I realized she's picking up on something in me that I need to yield to. So when she would now say, are you doing okay? I now respond, I'm not sure. What do you see? Well, you seem down or you are just kind of moping around or you made two harsh comments this morning. You just don't seem like yourself. And that brings that accountability and that health into our marriage where if I just say, yeah, I'm fine, you know, and you're basically telling your spouse, leave me alone, that's not healthy. So thank you for speaking the truth to me, honey. Yeah, right back at you. Um, (laughs) So, you know, the forgiveness being a salvation issue, to clarify, it was because I I was aware that there was unforgiveness in my heart and I was holding on to it. So if you will turn with me to Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verses 14 through 15. Okay, Matthew 6, verse 14. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. All righty then. I think those are the scriptures that we like to breeze over. And we're like, the Lord understands. This wound was deep enough. I'm allowed to not forgive all these things. You know, and it's like, nope. So I'd read it again. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive you. So then where do I go from that? If this is not a suggestion, but it's a command, how do I get free from unforgiveness? So as I was praying through it and working through it, I came to the understanding that forgiveness is not something the Lord wants from us, but it's something that he wants for us. That he understands that forgiveness is like poison in our hearts. And for unforgiveness turns into bitterness and gives the enemy a foothold in our lives. And we'll never be able to relate to God rightly, relate to others rightly, or fulfill the call of God in our life if we let unforgiveness fester inside of us. So this is not something he wants from us. He's not an unfair God. 
He's not asking us to do something he didn't do himself. You know, when he was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. I mean, when you really think about that, I mean, the things that we say are unforgivable. He is dying on the cross and asking the Father to forgive the men who were crucifying him. None of us have been through something like that. I can guarantee you that. So if Jesus can forgive, we can forgive. If Jesus has forgiven us of all he's forgiven us from, who are we to withhold forgiveness from someone else? We're not saying what they did was okay by forgiving them. Okay, you're not letting someone off the hook by forgiving them. You're just releasing them into the hands of the Father. Okay, we don't have to prove ourselves, prove that we're right. We release them and we trust that the Father will fight our battles for us, that he can do it. Um, so, if you recognize, okay. I'm hearing you, Lord. I have unforgiveness in my heart, but how do I get past it? How do I work through this? I want to give you an equation this morning, and that equation is feel plus deal equals heal. Okay? Feel plus deal equals heal. So, first of all, feel. You're going to have to actually allow yourself to feel the pain to let the Lord heal you. If you try and slap a Band-Aid on a deep wound, it is not going to heal. Just moving on and saying, it's okay, I forgive them, is not actually forgiveness. It's fraudulent, and it's denial. And you haven't actually healed at all, and it's going to be inside of you, and it's going to come out. It's going to come out with your friends and family, with the Lord. You have to actually allow him to get in those deep places and help you to heal. It can be scary. To go into those places with the Lord again and allow yourself to feel the pain. And, you know, it's a lot easier to cope. It's a lot easier to get on social media or watch a show or have friends over when the Lord's calling you into the secret place so he can heal your heart. But even when it's scary, just remembering who the Father is. That, you know, I always just think about the story of Jesus going to Lazarus in his grave and Mary and Martha being there and him knowing that he is going to turn it all around for their good, that he is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows all of this, but he weeps. Why does he weep? Because he is compassionate and he is with us. He is not saying like, okay, let's get a move on, heal up, forgive him, let's go. We got things to do. No, he's walking with us gently through the process. We are the ones who don't want the process. It's not God. He is a God of process. Read the Bible. You'll see it. <laughs> it's all the time. He takes people through process. So trusting that he is going to be with you every step of the way. Um, you know, there are parts of God that we don't even get to know until we walk through the valley. There are things that you will never experience until you're in the valley of the shadow of death. Those are the times that you learn to really lean, to really lean. You know, in Song of Solomon, it talks about she came out of the wilderness leaning on her beloved, 
I think a lot of us are like, Jesus, get me out of this wilderness. Get me out of this wilderness. Why will you not get me out of this wilderness? And it's because we're not leaning yet. We still have pride. We still have unforgiveness. We still have bitterness in our hearts. And we haven't actually let the Lord break us in the right place to where we're leaning on him. Because when we come out of the wilderness for real, we will be leaning on our beloved. Have anything you want to add? You could totally preach this by yourself and you don't need me. Whatever. <laughs> I'm just here to be your beloved if you want to. There, lean on I'll you. lean on you. <laughs> okay. Can you guys grab the doors? So, when I was praying about this, Nick. Daniel calls him Nick, Uncle Nick. Um, as I was praying about this, I felt like the Lord said that every time we face disappointment, it presents to us two doors. <laughs> Nick said they're heavy, heavy doors. <laughs> um, and the two doors... <laughs> Mitchell's upside down door, it's fine. The two doors that disappointment presents to us. Okay, bring it back. Mitchell's door isn't that important. Okay. Um, <laughs> so when we face disappointment, here are the two doors that are presented to us. First of all, we have an invitation into further intimacy with the Father. That's number one. We can go into further intimacy with the Father or we can open the door into the heart of the accuser. When disappointment comes our way, it can get so swirly. And we're like, so many things are coming and we can't figure it out when really it's this simple. Am I going to open the door into further intimacy with the Father or am I going to open the door into the heart of the accuser? And here's the truth about these doors. You open this door into the heart of the Father and he welcomes you in. He's gentle and kind. Even once you've opened the door, he just welcomes you to walk in. If you crack open this door, you're going to get sucked in. And there's a real difference there. There's an inviting, and then there's a you're getting sucked in, and I'm not letting you go. So we have to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. You know what is so like telling to me about that verse is that it's possible. Make it, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. That would not be in the word if it wasn't possible. It is possible. So when the thoughts come that invite us into lies about who the Father really is, we say, no, in the name of Jesus, I close that door. I am going into further intimacy with the Father, and I am going to let him tell me what he thinks about this situation. I'm going to let him tell me what his plans and purposes are. I am going to meditate on the word of God that says that he turns everything for the good of those who love him. Amen. That nothing is wasted with him. That he bottles up my tears. That he is near to the brokenhearted. We have to fill our hearts and our minds with the truth and the word of God. So that we don't get sucked in. And here, when you do, it can happen. When you get sucked in, you have to shut the door. Yeah. You have to say, no, never mind. Tell someone, I'm struggling. 
I have, I have let the accuser start speaking to me. Will you help me to break this off of my life? And in the name of Jesus, I'm coming back into intimacy with the Father. You know, he's a liar. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy. He's going to come after you. It's okay. It's part of the deal. But he has already been defeated. When Jesus said, it is finished on the cross, he meant, it is finished. Not it is finished, but actually, you're really too jacked up. No, it is finished. So open the door into the heart of the Father and allow him to heal you in the secret place. Thanks, guys. <laughs> so now we're feeling. It's really new for some of us. We're like, emotions? I don't know what to do with these. <laughs> you know, I was thinking last week about how people are like, they'll critique worship services, and they're like, that was just emotionalism. I'm like, God created emotions. Yeah. It's okay if there was some emotionalism in it. If it was the Holy Spirit-inspired emotions, praise the Lord. <laughs> it's okay. He's not mad that we express the emotions that he gave us. So some of you are going to have to come out from under your family of origin that's like stoic. Everything's fine all the time. And you're going to have to, Lord, have to let the Lord touch these places in your heart. I would also interject that if you have been exposed to legalism in your life, it makes the expression of emotions very difficult. Mm -hmm. Uh, because you're under the law and basically you need to suck it up and keep moving on. Mm -hmm. And if you have any emotion, it's viewed as weakness. Um, and Jesus gave us emotions. And being unaware of how you're doing isn't spiritual. Yeah. I know people freak out about personality tests and all this stuff. And like, listen, Paul told Timothy... Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. That's all you need to know. You need to pay close. And especially if you're a leader, the need for self-awareness is high because as Dutch Sheet said, you are always responsible for the impression that you leave people with. A lot of times when we're out of touch with ourselves emotionally, we come off as cold or distant or rude or weird and we don't even know it. And then we wonder why we don't have any friends and people avoid us like the plague. And it's a self-fulfilling cycle that you can't seem to get out of that comes from emotional detachment. Can we all just say together, emotions are healthy? Emotions, emotions are, are healthy. healthy. Praise the Lord. But if you don't get to the depth of what you're feeling, you won't forgive from the heart. You'll forgive as a transaction, as something you have to. You'll be legalistic even about your forgiveness rather than from a real place of blessing and honor and release that will set you free. So forgiveness doesn't really happen here. We all know we need to forgive. We're commanded to forgive. Like she said, it's not a suggestion. A suggestion. So we know I've got to forgive. But when does it really happen and take place? It's got to come from the heart and it starts with feeling the pain of what has happened. You can't stay there, but you do have to go there in order for it to be authentic and real. Does that make sense? Yeah, good. Yeah, so as we've started feeling, then we have to start dealing. 
So dealing in the practical can look like having some hard conversations. It's okay. You will make it. <laughs> Just because a conversation doesn't go well doesn't mean it didn't go well. If the truth was spoken, it went well. Just because it's so what I'm saying is if it's not received well, doesn't mean the conversation didn't go well. Um, I think understanding. So this is a tricky one. You're going to have to listen to my whole heart here. Forgiveness does not equal trust. Okay, I'm not saying you can stay bitter. I'm not saying you can stay bitter and angry and say you've forgiven. That's not the fruit of forgiveness. You can't be bitter. You can't be angry. You have to forgive. But that doesn't equal trust. If someone burns your house down, please do not give them keys and matches to your new house. Okay, that's not forgiveness. That is dumb. Okay, so it is okay to listen to who people show you that they are and put in healthy boundaries. I'm not saying be mean. I'm not saying you, if you put in boundaries, you need to tell them why. Don't be a coward. Okay, you can't put in boundaries and not tell them why and just leave them hanging like, what is happening? You have to explain to them and give them a chance to honor your boundaries. But it's not all up to you. So with that, let's turn to Romans 12. So to carry on the thought further, abusers, manipulators, deceivers do not get a free pass to continue to burn the house down. Are you with me? Yes. This is called boundaries and life is full of them and they're healthy. Mm-hmm. When someone is an abuser, a manipulator, a deceiver, like she's saying, mm-hmm. if someone steals your wallet, you should forgive them for stealing your wallet. You should not leave your wallet out around them again. Are you yeah. with me? Yes. That's forgiveness and the other is trust. Now, when you forgive someone who sinned against you, you can rebuild trust. Yes. Trust can be reinstated. It happens incrementally. And I think that the heart of God is to reinstate trust. But when someone burns it down over and over and over again, we have to have a moment of honesty where we say, I'm going to stop believing that you are who I want you to be and I'm just going to believe the truth of who you actually are. So that's painful. So here's the deal. Here's what we teach people in counseling. Believe someone's actions, not their words. Sorry is literally meaningless if they continue to do the same things over and over and over. Mm -hmm. Now let's apply that to God. You continue to sin in the same way over and over and over and over and over and over. That's not repentance. That's worldly sorrow. That's feeling bad that you got caught. That's trying to avoid the consequences of your sin. Where when we've truly repented, I don't care who knows or what happens. I'm just sorry and I want to change. And God is transforming my heart. So people that are really repentant, that are really broken, they don't need to cover it up. They don't care who knows. They're not worried about their reputation. They just want to be free. And by the way, the people that we've seen really break free from addictions, deep, dark addictions that actually got free, they all had one thing in common. They didn't care who knew. 
But the people that wanted to cover it up and that wanted to protect themselves and, well, how will people think of me? All of that is the pride that keeps you in bondage and you stay in the cycle of addiction. All right, here we go. Romans 12. Let's begin in verse 9 and we'll read all the way to verse 21. Let's just enjoy the word of God together. I read from the NASB. Let love be without hypocrisy which is the wearing of masks and pretending. Abhor what is evil. So the Word of God tells us it's okay to hate what is evil, right? We should hate evil. The reason why the church is so weak and is such a safe place for lukewarm people is because we welcome what is evil, and we end up calling what is evil good and what is good evil. We should hate what is evil. Jesus, Hebrews 1.3, is anointed with the oil of joy more than everybody else because he loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Maybe we would have more joy in our lives like Jesus if we loved the things God loved and we hate the things that God hates. So abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Boy, this is hard. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice And weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never, can you say never? Never Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible... So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So how do you get revenge? (laughs) You forgive. You release them to the Lord. You allow God, who is just, to be the judge of it all. See, I feel like God wants to deal with the thing in us that wants payback and that wants revenge. If you're like me, your favorite movies have to do with a revenge plot. (laughs) Like, God, help my heart. I love it when there's a wrong that happens, and by the end of the movie, whoever messed up is murdered and is killed. I mean, y'all, listen, we're going to have a time of confession so that I can get healed. I remember being like eight or nine years old 
And I watched the Jesus movie, not the Passion. This is like the Jesus film. How many of you remember it? <laughs> I'm, I'm eight years old. Some of you have a, a child close to that age. And I watched the movie, and I don't get touched by the Lord. I get angry. I'm furious at what they're doing to Jesus. And this justice thing rises up in me like they start mocking him, and I'm angry. I'm like, give him some. I want Jesus to take lightning bolts out of his eyes and consume them right now. I mean, they're like, oh, yeah, I know you all are holy and healthy people. You have no need for revenge. But that's like what rose up inside of me. And I had a pretty decent childhood at that point. So it's not like I was making up for some kind of deep wounding. It was just the natural sinfulness inside of me that said, man, Jesus, go ahead and get even. These people are mocking you. Show them that you're God. I mean, imagine being the son of God and they're saying, if you're the son of God, let's mock him. He's bleeding out. I mean, I I couldn't get over this sense of make him pay. And the urge and the desire inside of us that wants to see people pay is sinful. Okay. Wow. Um, (laughs) From a female perspective... (laughs) um, I think it, from my perspective, I won't put it on all females, but I, it was more just, I am so black and white, and I'm like, I just want what's right to be done. I just want the truth to be told. I just, just want what is right to be done. Like, that's all. It wasn't that I wanted, oh Lord, someone to pay or die or anything like that. It was just that I wanted... I was like, this isn't fair. What has happened is not fair, and I want justice, and I want everything to be made right. Kill them all. Oh, Jesus Lord, have mercy. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know David wrote, I hate my enemies with a perfect hatred? Yes. And I was like, yeah, come on. And then <laughs> I hate my enemies with a perfect hatred, and then here's Jesus going, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. What about our need to defend ourselves? Oh, this is huge. There are people right now in my life that I know for a fact believe lies about me. They believe lies about me and Taylor. They believe lies about this church. And I have surrendered to God the need to set the record straight. Because if I want to go and make it right, here's what I fail to do. I fail to trust God to be my defender. That's right. And I tell him, I want them to know the truth and I'm going to make it happen. Yeah. So my journey with forgiveness started with a word of knowledge. So much for the gifts of the Holy Spirit aren't for today. When I was 13, I was abandoned by my mother And Pops, who you know, raised me as a single father. We went through a lot of difficulty, a lot of pain. It was very, very rough. That's why Avon represented so much of a wasteland to me. And when the Lord spoke to me to move back to Indiana, I was like, you've got to be joking. I never want to return there. I felt that I had made it out and moved to Florida. So 
I'm 18 years old. I was living in Florida at the time, and there was a family that stepped forward to pay for me to go to Guatemala. We were so poor, I didn't have a driver's license until I was almost 19. What's the point? There's no car to drive. We were impoverished. And I'm in Guatemala. I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm with a team of like 10 people. I'm 18, and I don't know anyone on the team, okay? They don't really know me, but someone paid, hey, felt like you were supposed to go. I'm like, sounds great. It was a missions trip. It was the kind of missions trip, not where you stay in a hotel and you get manicures and pedicures. That's not really a missions trip, praise the Lord. That's a vacation. Sorry, it just is. We were staying where there was no electricity, no running water. It was, it was rough. And I'm in the middle of this meeting <laughs> and this older woman, excuse me, more seasoned saint. She was like over 80 years old. She comes up to me. I don't know her. And she says, when are you going to forgive your mom? And I looked at her, little snot-nosed kid, and I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was ready to double down and go into denial. I don't know what you're talking about. She said, the Lord says you need to forgive your mom. And I broke I'm in the middle of a jungle. I just start weeping. I cried so hard. I burst both the blood vessels in my eyes. And I'm not joking. The next thing I knew, it was like 7 or 8 o'clock at night. And she spoke to me at about 10 in the morning. I mean, I just like blacked out and wept. And all this pain and all of this hatred and all of this anger just left me. And this woman and another woman began to counsel me. And can I tell you, the Holy Spirit began to mother me in my life in such powerful ways. God began to make up the difference for what I lacked. Do you know the word says, though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. I've experienced that. I've experienced the superintending of God. Listen, when a woman who's, let's say, 50 plus comes up to me and she feels like she has a word for me, I always know it's going to be the word of the Lord because like 10 times over in my life, I've been in different places. I've been ministering in different states and someone comes up. Do you know why the Lord does that? Because he's healing the mother wound inside of me. But he could never get to any of that without the decision to forgive. So I chose to forgive her. And can I tell you when I met with her and I asked her for forgiveness and I told her I forgive you, her response was not a good one. This is why it's important for you to understand forgiveness is for you. Forgiveness isn't for the other person. There may be difficulties or, or woundings where you're not going to get that resolve. You're not going to get that closure in this life, but God can give it to you. But you have to release the need to be right, the need to defend yourself, the need to, oh, I've got, no, you trust that the Lord sees. So a few months ago, Another painful thing happens, a deep betrayal, some dark stuff, slander and accusation gets stirred up in a really, really extremely painful way for me. And I'm at a meeting somewhere else and I'm worshiping and a brother comes up to me who I've never met in my life. Here we go again. Here's God on the move. And he says, man, I see very clearly in the spirit that you're a man of power, 
that God has gifted you, but I also see that honor is deeply important to you. And he said, recently you've been dishonored, but because you've chosen not to sow dishonor in the face of dishonor, but you've chosen to honor those who have dishonored you, God is about to open up doors of influence wide in his body because you've allowed him to defend you and it's so pleasing to the Lord. And I, I went home, I'm like, if I ever got a word from the Lord, that was God talking. I mean, I was like, have you been in my bedroom? Have you been in my car? Well, of course he hasn't, but by the Spirit of the Lord, God is listening. He's paying attention. So we have to deal with the thing in us that wants revenge. We have to deal with the thing in us that wants people to understand. Let me read you a, a quote here from Larry Crabb. This is about asking for forgiveness. I'm going to transition a bit. He says, true apologies never explain, they only admit. Wow. So let's flip, let's wear the other shoe now. When you go to ask for forgiveness, explaining why you did what you did that was hurtful is not an apology. I have literally had someone say, I'm sorry that you think I hurt you. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> that I, what? I'm, so, I'm sorry that you, and it's like, we can continue to put the blame on other people or in humility, we can forgive others and we can receive forgiveness. Does that make sense? So when you go to apologize, when you go, just, just own it. Yeah. Not, well, my intention was, well, your intentions didn't play out. That's why we're here. I'm sorry I've sinned against you. I'm sorry I, I allowed the enemy in and I made a place for the devil to do his work in our family and our marriage and I repent, I'm sorry. The level of ownership usually equates to the level of healing that happens. But we like to repent and do the minimum and that's how pride and shame and those things persist in our lives. So here's the deal with forgiveness. Have you ever heard anybody say that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die? Yeah. It's very true. When we hold on to bitterness, the Word of God in Hebrew says that the root of bitterness can defile many. It's interesting, the language. Bitterness has the power to defile you. Bitterness has the power to open doors of great damage and affliction in your life. But most of us think we're not bitter, and we have forgiven, and we've moved on. And I believe that the Lord is asking us as a church to re-examine some things and to reopen some things for a period of time, not for forever, but to seek the Lord, have I truly forgiven? Because I believe there's forgiveness that needs to take place even within this body. We've been together now for several years. We haven't talked about forgiveness as much as we probably should have. But the Lord, in His wisdom, had us wait until September. I wonder why. Because God is desiring to do something new. It was prophesied there's a new era in this place. Yeah. But I believe this has to do with putting away the old. Perhaps forgiveness is the vehicle by which we 
shed an old wineskin and we come into the new wineskin. I believe there's a connection in the wisdom of God here that we're trying humbly to walk in and to yield to. But I want you to write this phrase down. To forgive is to be like God. This is important. Forgiveness is a massive opportunity to display the character and nature of God. When we forgive someone from the heart, we're acting like Jesus. Which, by the way, it's illegal to be a Christian and not forgive. It's within the name. The gospel is built upon God forgiving man. So who are we to say, hey, thanks for my forgiveness, Jesus. Now I'm going to be self-righteous and arrogant and hold bitterness over all the people in my life who wrong me. So if you remember last summer, I had a dream. And in the dream, I saw what was called the spirit of offense that was pervasive throughout the earth. Some of you weren't with this ministry yet, I'll explain. The spirit of offense was like a black, and this is in a dream, it was like a black, dark, polluted river that was flowing out of the pit of hell and was going on a mission throughout all the homes in the earth. And the spirit of offense was dividing people. Listen, if you struggle with being easily offended, that is a character flaw that God wants to love you through and help you to work on. Jesus was unoffendable. How many of you are unoffendable? Oh, I wish I could raise my hand. But Jesus is our example. He, he, did he walk around and, oh, listen, this guy is being betrayed. And he says, come, come and do what you've come here to do. Who looks at Judas and see the Paul in me? I don't want, let's stab him. <laughs> Peter, I'm so glad you brought a knife. Let's, let's, let's give it to him. Let's get rid of this traitor. And here's Jesus with the Father's business in mind. Some of you are laughing because it resonates with you. He's being murdered. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is ridiculous to me. If I'm going to be honest. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I'm pretty sure they did. Jesus is pleading for the ignorance of his murderers. What? What if we began to look at the people that have sinned against us and we ask the Father, give me your perspective of their life that I might have compassion on them, that I might extend mercy to them, that I might be found with a heart full of love and forgiveness so that their sin doesn't become my sin. It's amazing how the sinfulness of other people will draw out the sinfulness in us. <laughs> Somebody gets in the flesh and gets mad, and we think, well, they got mad first, so I can get mad also. No, the Word of God says a kind answer turns away wrath. Yeah. When someone's angry and they're in the flesh, we should respond in kindness and bring the temperature back down. Yeah. Right? So here's what I wrote. I brought my, these are my old sermon notes from a year ago. But I wrote five things that people walking in a spirit of offense manifest, okay? I'm going to give these to you because it has to do with carrying unforgiveness and that bitterness. Number one, those walking in a spirit of offense will avoid. That's number one. They avoid. What do they avoid? Sometimes they avoid eye contact. 
Like, just, just look the other way. Let me just walk by you in the hallway because really I don't want to deal with what's in my heart towards you. They need physical distance. You know it's really, really hard to hate someone that you're in a room with. We've had people that were stirred up to bitterness and anger, and we just had them over for dinner, and they just saw, like, we're just normal people, like, and I made you a great steak, by the way. I mean, how can you be mad at me? <laughs> and it was like, oh, we were just brothers and sisters. We were in the family of God again. But bitterness thrives in distance. I got to move away. I got to get away. I never want to see you again. I hope you die. That stuff is real in the hearts of Christians. We want to see people get theirs rather than, God, I release them to you. What does it look like to pray for your enemies? I've been asking the Lord this question for years. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. God, how do I pray? for people that persecute me. Because I want to pray like David, <laughs> but I'm not allowed because I know better and we're in a new covenant. Yeah, so God, give me your heart. How do I pray for those who despitefully use me, who are actually heaping blessing upon me by doing so? I heard a story one time of a prophet who was on a plane, and this man sits down next to him. And this man begins to curse the prophet. And he begins to go wild on this guy. He says, I'm a wizard, I'm in a witch's, whatever, whatever is the language. But there was some deep, dark spiritual stuff. And he begins to curse the prophet. And the prophet sits there quietly and just let, he, this guy's just up and down. I hope your family dies, all just, just crazy stuff. And when he had kind of run out of breath, the prophet says, Is that all you got? He says, I got a few more, and he continues on for a few more minutes. And the whole time, this prophetic brother is praying and asking the Lord for a word. God, why have you allowed this to happen? And so he continues to curse him. And the prophet says, I have a word from the Lord on my life that God would turn all the curses into blessing. So I was hoping that you would curse me as much as possible because I know that God's going to turn it and use it as blessing in my life. And this guy looks at him like, man, I can't get through to you. I can't break you. He's trying to antagonize him and provoke him. They're on a plane together. Who gets a seat on a plane next to someone intentionally? I mean, it's like a seven-hour flight. And the Lord speaks to this prophetic brother about a Jack Russell Terrier. All right, you following me? Woof, woof. And it's the only thing that he can get. And it's like, all, like I, Lord, is this all really? I mean, I'm in this intense moment. And so this prophetic guy says to him, does a Jack Russell Terrier mean anything to you? And this man who's been cursing him for 20 minutes starts to weep and breaks down on the plane. And the prophet begins to minister to this guy. His Jack Russell Terrier got hit by a car when he was a boy. And in that moment, he determined that he hated God and that he would do anything to bring down the body of Christ. Wow. Just a vow that he made in his heart as a young boy because his dog died. He went to bitterness. He blamed God. By the way, God doesn't need forgiveness. Amen? Amen. Please don't let that filth in your mind. And... In an instant, he gets set free. 
He gives his life to the Lord. He repents, receives salvation, because only God could know where it all came from. We turn curses into blessing. We don't curse those who curse us. We bless when we're cursed. We move in the opposite spirit, if you will. Where there's hatred, we sow love. Where there's discord, we make peace. This is about being the salt and light of the earth. Amen. So God doesn't need forgiveness because God is perfect. Yes, I've met people who paid a lot of money for counseling, and at the, the crescendo of their counseling experience was they forgave God, and I just want to vomit. God doesn't need forgiveness. God is perfect. God is good. Everything that He does is righteous and holy. God Himself is the standard for what is right. Have we experienced abuse, neglect? Have we been through difficult things? Yes, but it's the enemy who wants to turn that and cause us to accuse God, go through the heart of the accuser, open that door, and eventually you go after God himself. And rather than your pain having purpose because God can use it and break you and mold you through it, your pain becomes the infection of bitterness upon your soul. They say about people heading into their elderly years that people either become dramatically sweeter or dramatically meaner. Because at that point in your life, if you haven't forgiven, things begin to settle in. And there begins to be a hardness and a coldness and a callousness that takes over us. And it's subtle, we don't even realize it. So number one, people that are, that are walking in a spirit of offense, they avoid, avoid eye contact, avoid with distance. Number two, they communicate indirectly or passive-aggressively. Communication that's indirect or passive-aggressive can be a sign of offense. Just say it for God's sakes. I knew a brother who had a counseling ministry for 40 some years and he said the most difficult people to counsel are passive aggressive types because you never know what they're actually thinking. That's exhausting. If you adopt avoidance in your communication, you're going the route of a coward and God wants you to live in the light of the truth. Truth sets you free. Amen. Amen. You mad at us yet? All right, Taylor's got an interjection. Just a short one. Um, Just making sure as we go through this list, obviously it's easy to think about other people, but making sure that we're hearing it and putting it over our own hearts and like, oh, am I the one who avoids eye contact? Am I? Because the Lord is looking to set each of us individually free this morning. We don't actually have the power to control and change someone else. So let's set them off to the side and allow the Lord to heal our hearts this morning. Number three, those walking in a spirit of offense, they harbor dishonor. The word of God commands us to honor one another. We're to honor authority, we're to honor church leadership, we're to honor one another. We're to actually honor the members of the body that are less seemly. 
We are to be lifting up the weak. That's the kind of family we are. We're not supposed to be shooting the wounded. We're supposed to be honoring those who are weak, those who are struggling. Honor, when we dishonor someone in our heart, we cannot receive from them. So here's where things go awry in the church. You can't receive from someone that you dishonor. This is important, right? So what you honor, you can receive from. The minute that you go into dishonor, you will stop benefiting from the grace that is on someone's life because you have dishonor in your heart. Are you with me? So when we honor someone, when we say, wow, like Ben Locker has a gift for cars. He's gifted with mechanics. He can do things that I could never do in a million years. Well, I honor Ben in my life by seeking his wisdom about vehicles, by bringing my vehicles to him for help, and by getting my friends and family. This is a pitch for Ben's garage, by the way. Shameless plug. Hallelujah. Go like him on Facebook. Five stars. Leave a review. Ben's Garage. Okay. You're just right in front of me. It's the easiest. But I honor him by sowing into his life. I honor him by seeing the gift and by saying, man, I want to receive something. And then my life is made better and I become the beneficiary of the gifts and talents that God has given him because I unlock that through honor. It's healthy to honor. We should honor authority. We should honor government. We should honor the police. We should honor firefighters. We should honor people in our community and in the world who are in positions of leadership, who are serving. Even if we don't like them, God still wants us to honor them. And by the way, if you're going through a season of bitterness or you're work, actively working through something, that's not the time to get on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. That's good. Why do we do that? You can tell when people are hurting because they just start bleeding by pushing post. Yeah. Rather than pushing post, try prayer and get before the Lord and work it out with Him. That's not the time to you, well, let me tell you, no, no. Because even that can be we're looking for attention and we're trying to get people on our side and we're trying to show people how much we've been wronged so that we can get people to vote for us rather than the bad guys. Does that make sense? One thing that when we were walking through infertility and I was very sick and suffering greatly, I was like, did the Lord do this? Did the enemy do this? Did I... Did the Lord allow this? Did the Lord not allow this? Do I need to? And I was like all the, and Paul just gently said like, when we're suffering, isn't the time to make a theology. Like, let's just settle on the Lord is good because he is good because he is good. And let's just humbly walk through this season. So that's just an encouragement. If you're going through something hard right now, don't create a theology out of it. Just Put your head down, walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're going to make it through. <laughs> Amen. So forgiveness leads to fruitfulness. Bitterness leads to barrenness. A lot of people don't bear fruit in their lives because there's a root of bitterness that is defiling them. A lot of people aren't able to really participate and become a part of a church body and family because of bitterness and unforgiveness. 
because part of them is tied up somewhere else. It's one of the most difficult parts of being a church leader, can I tell you, is that people project the pain of their former church or their, well, this is what my pastor, and it's like, listen, I don't know anything about that. Okay? So forgiveness leads to a fruitful life. Bitterness produces barrenness. Let's finish this list. Number four, those walking in a spirit of offense. Three was harbor dishonor. Four is gossip and slander. These people will talk about you, but they won't talk to you. See, bitterness begins to fade when we just have a conversation. It's funny. You have people that get worked up and offended about something that you said, and then when you go to talk, they've been in a, in a swirl for a month, and that's not even actually what you said. They misheard the words, and it became something else and took on a life of its own. Who do you think is going to help you do that? Not Jesus Christ. The enemy, the accuser, the one who divides. Don't let that thing brew. Just, hey, get on the phone. Hey, man, what, you know, I just wanted to clarify. See, there's a way to share a perception that you have without it being a conclusion or a judgment. Hey, this was my perception of something. Is that what you mean? Because your heart is full of love and you're looking to give someone the benefit of the doubt. That's healthy. That's godly. And the last one, number five, is they embrace an alternative reality. Those walking in a spirit of offense may eventually, they embrace an alternative reality. What do I mean? I mean offense distorts perception. When you walk in offense and unforgiveness, your perception and the lens that you look at life and conversations and family through is so fractured and so broken that that's not even what's being said or communicated, but you're constantly wrestling through this thing because unforgiveness is polluting your soul. It's damaging your filter. It's preventing the flow of the love of God in your life. The love of God, love keeps no record of wrongs. Here's the deal. When you really forgive someone and you release them to the Lord, this is powerful, don't miss it, you don't need other people to know what they've done. Joseph, his brothers, throw him in a hole and they take his life through hell and he's sold into slavery and then he's accused with Potiphar's wife and none of it was true and then he finds himself he's about to reveal himself in the end of the book of Genesis the first book of the Bible he's about to reveal himself to his brothers who he had every single right to hate them he has the power in that moment to kill them And before he reveals himself to his brothers, he clears the room. Everyone else leave. I'm just going to talk to my brothers. He didn't need other people to know. He didn't need to go tell the whole town how I... No, I forgive you. I release you. Bitterness will keep you up at night, y'all. Unforgiveness will cause you to lose sleep. I've been there. 
I've had to wrestle through this stuff in my life. The arrows, the accusation. Let's have another moment of just raw honesty. In preparation for this message, we felt led of the Lord to once again go through forgiveness of all these things. Y'all, I don't think we're like extremely unhealthy unless y'all need to rebuke us. We made a list of 40 people that have accused us, slandered us, lied about us, got stirred up by the devil, and we tried to love and forgive and honor and help and serve 40 people. You know what we did with that list? We wrote out their names and we prayed for them by name. And then we said, Lord, we want you to take this and we're going to put it into your presence as a sacrifice to you because it honors you. We bless, we forgive we release. I was like, the peace of God just flooded us once again. Here's the deal. If you hold on to unforgiveness, you can always live as a victim of the things that have happened to you. There is a reason why people do not forgive, and a main reason is because we would actually have to move on. That's right. This is tough. But when you forgive, you let it go, and you don't call it to mind anymore. I release you, I bless you, I'm moving on. I forget what lies behind and I press on forward towards the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But if you hold on to unforgiveness, you can live as a victim of that circumstance your whole life and that can be your ace for why you don't do the hard things that God wants you to do. And you stunt your growth and you cut yourself off from ever maturing in Christ and you say, Lord, I'm only willing to go this far. The orphan spirit is fed by unforgiveness and bitterness. Sons and daughters to the Father say, you know what? Father, you've forgiven me of so much. When you have a revelation of your own sinfulness, it gets a lot easier to forgive someone else. But so much of unforgiveness is built upon self-righteousness and feeling like I did the right thing, I know the truth, and I'm never going to release it. You know, all that stuff in us is sewage that God wants us to flush and to cleanse and to purify. So here's what I feel led of the Lord to do this morning is to issue a challenge. I want you to think about the person or maybe the people in your life who have wounded you the most, who have hurt you. And I'm, we're going to do this as well. And I want you to pray and ask the Lord, how can I bless that person or those people what's a creative thing that I can do maybe you need to do it anonymously because of the nature of the relationship and it would stir up World War 3 I'm not encouraging you to do that and to lack wisdom but maybe it's we need to go back and we need to have a conversation and we need to revisit some things so here's where I want to finish as I give you that challenge is if you'll look one more time at verse 18 that says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. So how do I sleep with peace in my heart at night when I just told you there's a list of 40 people that hate us? Because so far as it depends on me, 
If I saw them, I would hug them. I would love them. Sometimes I do, and I ask them, how are you? And I genuinely mean it from a place of love because I've been set free by what they said or what they did to us. Does that make sense? So, so far as it depends on you, so here's the deal. Relationships are a two-way street. Relationships are a two-way street. Are you ready? You're only responsible for your side of the street. You can't make someone want a relationship with you. If they're living in an alternative reality about what happened, <laughs> you can be two ships in the night, and then you can argue about what I was like, just none of that pleases the Lord. So relationships are a two-way street. You're only responsible for your side of the street, but here's the deal. Make sure that your side of the street is clean and clear and full of the love of God. And if you saw that person or those people, you would embrace them. You wouldn't avoid them. You would want God's best for them. And you would have a heart that is redemptive towards them. Even if it means you move on. Because again, forgiveness isn't trust. You can forgive someone, but they've lost your trust and that's acceptable. But I believe the heart of God is moving towards reinstating trust when it's appropriate. Yeah, just one more thing before he closes that I didn't want us to miss was there's a big thing out there right now about forgiving ourselves and we need to forgive ourselves. And I think there's a lot of people who are like, I don't have, I like legitimately don't struggle forgiving the people that have hurt me, but I can't forgive myself for the mistakes that I've made. Like that's where I'm stuck is I can't forgive myself. The Lord wants to clear up this morning that you don't have the power to forgive yourself. And you actually cannot forgive yourself. But what you can do is accept the forgiveness of Jesus. So instead of wrestling through everything you did wrong, we humble ourselves and we say, Jesus, I accept that your sacrifice is enough for me. I repent for my pride in thinking that it wasn't, thinking that your sacrifice was not enough, and I accept your blood over me this morning. I think my biggest breakthrough, which I'm sure he'll get here, is when I started repenting for my unforgiveness. Um, so I just want to leave you guys with that today to not... It's going to be a process, but that process begins with repentance. Repentance for the unforgiveness in our heart and repentance for not accepting the forgiveness of Jesus. So he, Hebrews 9.22 says that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So what she's saying is a biblical concept that you can't forgive yourself based upon what sacrifice you're going to be stuck in the hamster wheel of trying to forgive yourself and it's never going to work. You have to receive the forgiveness and the mercy of God. So when we struggle to forgive ourselves, and I know what people mean, but the struggle to forgive yourself is actually a rejection of the mercy of God. And that's something that we can repent for as well. I mean, I knew one brother, his life got set free because he repented for needing God to be angry at him. That was a huge breakthrough for him. God, I need you to be angry at me and you're speaking all this pleasure and acceptance and affirmation and love and I just can't receive it because I need you to be angry with me. When he repented for believing a God in his own image, 
the image after his own earthly father, and he received the father as Jesus represented him as life took off in God. So you don't need to forgive yourself. You need to receive the forgiveness of God. Can we all stand? So our challenge as a fellowship is to bless those that persecute us, is to think of a creative, tangible way to bless them, to go back into that and to allow the Lord to release us from the pain, from the hurt. And I want to tell you something. How do I know I've forgiven? Well, let me make it simple. The past is never the past until it stops affecting the present and dictating your future. So you can say it's in the past, but until you really forgive and work through it and get to that place of I'm no longer a victim, but I'm an overcomer through Jesus Christ by releasing these people to the Lord, that's when breakthrough happens. So let's pray together. Father, we ask you now in Jesus' name that you would wash, that you would cleanse, that you would purify our hearts. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to forgive from the heart this morning. Lord, we just remember the wounds, the pain, the hurt, the trauma, the betrayal, the accusation, the lies, the slander, the abuse, the gossip, the hatred, all the things, Lord, that we've endured collectively in this room, and we choose to forgive in Jesus' name. We choose to honor where we've been dishonored. We choose, Lord, to pray for them, to bless them. We ask, Lord, that you would open their eyes eyes in Jesus' name. We pray that you would remove bitterness, unforgiveness, that you would cause the scales to fall from our eyes. Lord, we pray that there would be no one, not a single person in our lives, that if we saw them, we wouldn't honor them, we wouldn't hug them. Lord, we don't want to avoid, but we want to draw near. We don't want to keep a record of wrongs, but we want to go forward with a forgiving heart with a loving heart, Lord, that we would be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven us. Lord, I pray that a wave of forgiveness, that a willingness to release it to you would wash over our souls right now. And Father, if we're trapped in bitterness, Lord, if even parts of what has been said this morning has stirred up anger or resentment or offense in us, Lord, would you come and clean out and wash away those areas and allow us by your grace to extend grace to others. Lord, we plead the blood of Jesus over our accusers, over our abusers. We choose to allow you to defend us so that you can set us free, so that we can move on and move forward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.